Hello world, welcome to another edition of Mr. Speaker Speaks. I'm your host, the one and only Vincent T. Edwards, better known as Mr. Speaker. And today, we're going to deal with some heart issues. We're going to get straight to the heart of the matter today, if I can say so. Um, I have a cardiologist today, world-renowned Dr. Stephen Sinatra is my guest today here on Mr. Speaker Speaks, and he's going to speak to you about the heart. But like always here on this show, let us have a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just to say thank you for all that you do for us, for how you've protected us, for how you've kept us, how you continually show your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy. And now, Lord, we just ask that you put your hand across this state, the state of Florida, to protect us, O Lord, and to protect those and, and care for those who are on the front lines with the coronavirus. Look on all of our essential workers right now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, I just ask that you look on my guest today to bless him in a special way for his uh, taking the time out to be a part of this show to educate the listening audience about matters of the heart. And we will forever give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And our inspirational verse of scripture today comes from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 15 and 13. And it reads, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Sinatra. He is one of the most highly respected and sought after cardiologists whose integrative approach to treating cardiovascular disease for the past four decades has revitalized patients with even the most advanced forms of illness. He will discuss with us today how the coronavirus is a concern to our heart health. Dr. Sinatra has co-authored and published a paper on personalized nutrition for COVID-19 era with the American Nutrition Association and will discuss the connection between the heart, lungs, and COVID-19 as well as precautions and preventative measures to take for people with pre-existing heart conditions. With that being said, Dr. Sinatra, welcome to Mr. Speaker Speaks. Hey, that was an incredible introduction. You know, I've been doing radio and TV for 40 plus years. And to lead it off with a prayer like that is awesome. I got to tell you, that's a first for me. Well done. Well, well done. Well, I really enjoyed that. You know, and, and it's, it's sort of privy to what, um, you know, we're going to talk about today, but... Um, when you lead off with a prayer like that, it really sets the tone. And it reminds me, um, uh, my last book was with uh, Tommy Rosa, who went to heaven and back, by the way. It was the most profound near-death experience I've ever, well, I've ever encountered in my lifetime. Because as a cardiologist, you can imagine uh, all the near-death experiences that people shared with me. It was about probably 20 to 25 over the past 40 to 50 years I've been practicing medicine. So... That was a great introduction, Vincent, so I just want to give you that 
uh, feedback before we start. <laughs> well, thank you so very much, Doctor. To God be the glory. You know, when I when I when I got your information, it took me back to my high school days early on. You know, before I graduated, and I thought I was going to go to school, to med school, and be a cardiovascular surgeon. That was high on my list to do that. But when I got to the uh, University of Florida, I found out I like, think I like business a little bit more <laughs> than, than medicine. You'll sleep a lot better in business as opposed to medicine, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So what actually uh, perked your interest and got you involved in medicine and then cardiology well the, the reason why I got into medicine and I, I thought I would never get into medical school because uh, I went to college on a, uh, an athletic scholarship and uh, in the middle of college I decided I wanted to be a doctor but I always thought I, w- I could I wanted to be a doctor before then but I didn't think I had the grades or the intelligence or whatever because when I was growing up in a family my mom she developed diabetes when she was 38. Uh, she had glaucoma, and they used high doses of corticosteroids. And the medical profession back then, uh, years ago, when I was about eight or nine years old, so that's about 65 years ago, they had very little experience with corticosteroids. And she was, she ended up developing diabetes, and it was very, very brittle, and she had swings of blood sugars. And I remember as a young boy um, coming home to my house and, you know, she'd be like uh, passed out on the floor and sweating and she would say, I need sugar, I need sugar. And and sometimes I had to give her insulin when I was 12 or 13 years old. And You know, it sort of wore off on me where she became a great inspiration and then I decided uh, in the middle of my junior year of college to apply to medical school. I took the MedCats and I got into my the first... Uh, the first semester of my senior year, and it was at the height of the Tet Offensive at the Vietnam War. So I was, I was blessed. I, I, I think, I, yeah. I, I, I think I was. Uh, I mean, truly, truly blessed. I really do. Yeah, that. Wow, what a, what a story. So yeah, because mothers are typically inspirational in the lives of children, but not all in that way. But that was. You know, I knew that should have been something that was tough to get through, having to deal with that at a young age with your mother. Oh, it had a big imprint on me, I have to tell you. It really did. So, But, you know, things happen for a reason. So uh, I'm glad I'm a doctor. I enjoy what I'm doing. And uh, if we can help a few people today, that would be wonderful. Yeah. When we look at the heart, um, it, is it just a muscle that just constantly goes? What keeps it going? What keeps it beating? Well, the heart's like a pump, and uh, even prehistoric man knew that all life depended on the pulsation uh, of the heart. So the key word is pulsation. So how do you keep the heart pulsating? Because the heart beats over 100,000 times a day, and it never stops. I mean, the only time it rests is between, you know, heartbeats when it's filling with blood. And, and uh, it's just a very, very dynamic organ. Uh, I got attracted to cardiology when I was uh, in my training as a uh, as an intern and as, as a medical resident, and uh, uh, the heart really had so many mystical uh, queries to it. I mean, you quoted the, uh, something from Proverbs, uh, uh, but there's so many and, and this, this, there's so many sayings with the heart. You know, like people wear their heart on their sleeve, so to speak. You know, it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, and 
And uh, when I wrote my book, Heartbreak and Heart Disease, in one of the chapters, I actually developed a lot of the sayings of the heart, you know, even from the Romans, you know, from the, after Christ was crucified. So some incredible sayings came out about the heart. So I was attracted to it, and I went into cardiology, and uh, it's been the best choice probably I've ever made in my lifetime. Can someone, you know, with the heart being, being a muscle, never resting, can someone really have a broken heart? And then you've heard the saying, they died of a broken heart. Can something just stress you out that much to your heart just breaks? uh, Yeah, again, I wrote a lot about that in my book, Heartbreaking Heart Disease, because I, you see, um, uh, not only am I a cardiologist, but I was also also a trained psychotherapist. I studied in Gestalt and bioenergetic psychotherapy for years. So I was attracted to the mind-body. And um, I can tell you, Vincent, I've had cases in my practice where, um, people were married for 50 plus 60 years and one of them died of a heart attack and within four hours the mate you know the spouse died of a heart attack uh, overwhelming heartbreak uh, can hurt the heart I mean there's no doubt about it and then George Engel he was a psychiatrist and an internist he was dual boarded um, I heard him lecture um, when I was a very very young doctor and he had an, a huge imprint on me and he was talking about sudden cardiac death and most uh, most of the 200 over 200 cases that he reported on were in situations of grief, despair, loss of a loved one, etc. But a few cases occurred with great joy. Um, one of the cases uh, he he presented at the conference was uh, uh, a couple of twins was separated uh, at a young age, uh, I think during World War II. And uh, one of the twins finally met the other twin at the airport uh, about 30, 40 years later. And uh, when one of the twins got off the plane, he was overwhelmed with joy, and he died of sudden cardiac death. Uh, So, you know, that's very rare, overwhelming joy like that. Uh, You know, I guess his heart was vulnerable to uh, surges of adrenaline and cortisol and and neural hormonal interactions. But, uh, you know, that's a very, very rare situation. But, I, again, I have seen situations on the other side where overwhelming grief, despair. I mean, one of Engel's cases was a, a man in his 40s. He's driving home from work, and he sees a, motor, a, a motorcycle accident, and it happened to be his own son. And he didn't realize. He stopped, and he, he recognized it was his son, and he was holding his son's head, and he died of a heart attack. I mean, so situations like that can happen, but... Um, uh, I can tell you one thing, as a psychotherapist, the heart and the brain are, are vitally connected. I mean, uh, and I've always believed that the heart is king to the brain. You know, in other words, it rules the brain. And we've demonstrated that through very scientific measures. We call that heart rate variability. Wow, that's the technical term. But I know a lot of people always take their heart over their mind, <laughs> heart over logic. They go with their feelings rather than the analytical approach. So I can agree with you on that. That the heart. Hey, I have to acknowledge what you just said. What you said is so profound that when you when you always choose your heart over your brain, but trust me, you're going in the right direction. You made the right choice. <laughs> wow. When we hear the term all the time, you know, heart disease is a, a, a major killer uh, in the United States. What is heart disease? disease is it something that's really going on with the heart or is it the blood vessels and the arteries leading up to the heart that we consider as heart disease well there's mainly two types of heart disease i mean one is heart muscle disease we call that cardiomyopathy 
uh, and I can maybe get into that in a few minutes. So that's where COVID-19 has affected, you know, a lot of people's hearts because when you have respiratory infections of viruses, the heart and the lungs share the same circulation. So whatever affects the lung can affect the heart. And as a heart specialist for, for the last almost five decades, uh, I've seen um, many viral infections of the lung uh, cause heart failure, you know, later on, you know, maybe four or six three months later after a severe respiratory infection. But the overwhelming problem with heart disease in the United States is, is not heart muscle disease. Although you can get heart muscle disease from, from uh, the diabetic situations, you can certainly get it from overuse of alcohol and viral infections and, and valvular heart disease, to mention a few, like rheumatic fever. But the overwhelming problem is coronary artery disease, and that, and that means that the coronary artery vessels, the blood vessels that feed the heart with oxygen, um, get plaque buildup. Uh, and the plaque buildup uh, could be from anything from, you know, insecticides or pesticides or heavy metals or cholesterol. Or sh I think blood sugar is the major impact for hardening of the arteries because whenever we have uh, high blood sugar in the body, um, we can get what we call age glycation, which means that the blood sugar, the higher blood sugars, uh, can combine with proteins in the blood. And these products, we call them age glycated products, accelerate aging. And when this happens, you can get plaque deposition in coronary blood vessels. And that's why diabetes is a big factor in um, uh, uh, getting heart disease as a complication of longstanding diabetes. Hmm. So it's actually the clogging up of the arteries. Yeah, clogging up the, the, of the vessels, yes. The vessels. But, but cholesterol is not the enemy we think it is. It really isn't. It's, so I've heard. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Bowden and I just rewrote our book, The Great Cholesterol Myth, and and uh, that, that newer edition will be coming out probably in about three or four months. But uh, I've always been a strong believer that cholesterol wasn't public enemy number one. I mean, blood sugar is far worse than high cholesterol. And I, and I hope your audience will take that information in because one of the things we've got to watch is keep the blood sugar lower, uh, you know, try to keep our weight down, uh, don't eat a lot of junk foods, uh, eat higher protein, higher fat foods, less sugars, less carbohydrates, uh, because you do not want to get, uh, you know, prediabetes or diabetes. And the problem is there's 100 million people in the United States today that have either a pre-diabetic or a diabetic situation, that's at about one point, you know, maybe that's one in 3.4 people, uh, which is really horrible because, yeah. uh, you know, I grew up with diabetes in my family. By the way, my grandmother had diabetes as well, so I carry the gene for it. But as a heart specialist, I always watch my weight and I always watch my sugar intake it's, uh, because I, I, I do not want to get diabetes, believe me. Nobody needs that. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's nothing nice having to, you know, take pills, insulin, or in, injections. Correct, when, yeah. We t looking at the heart, um, what role does high blood pressure um, have with heart issues? Well, it's probably uh, next to cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking is the worst thing you can do for your heart. I mean, every cardiologist on the planet believes that. Uh, but next to cigarette smoking, I would say high blood pressure is probably the number one risk factor. So it's, it's really important to keep the blood pressure numbers lower. Lower is better. And, uh, you know, the American Heart Association has just lowered the blood pressure numbers again. I mean, 
when I was in medical school, Vincent, if, if you had a blood pressure of 138, less than 88, that was considered good. Uh, in the last 20 years, that was dropped to 128 over, over 82, 84. And now we're saying the blood pressure should be like 120 uh, over 70 to 75. Wow, uh, that's a, a... an ideal situation. So even in my short history of being a doctor, you know, I've seen uh, the major medical societies drop the numbers. And the same thing has happened with blood glucose. We used to think that any, like a blood glucose less than 100 was good. Uh, now it's less than 90. And most recently, they're saying a fasting blood sugar of 70 is really ideal. Uh, so, you know, the medical profession is changing some of these risk factors when it comes to the heart. And it was interesting to me that you said uh, hypertension is is a greater factor than cigarettes um, when it comes. No, no, cigarettes is the worst. Cig- oh, cig- is, okay. Yeah, other than cigarettes. Other than cigarettes. Okay. Yeah, other than cigarettes. Okay. So, but you know, and I always looked at cigarettes as playing a major role with um, the lungs more so than the heart. Can you speak to that um, correlation there? Sure. Uh, and sure. and tie that in with you know this whole focus on COVID nineteen dealing yeah. with lung issues. Yeah, um, here's the problem with cigarette smoking. Um, uh, even if you find a clean tobacco, <laughs> which is hard to do anyway. <laughs> a clean uh, tobacco. <laughs> uh, there's there's so many chemicals in growing tobacco, uh, insecticides, pesticides. I mean, you name it. Um, you know, some scientists have said that whenever you suck in a cigarette you're inhaling about 4,000 chemicals. Now, we know that carbon monoxide is not good for the body and, and, uh, and nicotine is not good for the body. These, these are some chemicals that are in cigarette when, when you smoke and everything. But it's the insecticides, the pesticides, the metals, and all that stuff that you're sucking into your body. Uh, and the oxygen saturation drops in smokers as well. And a lot of smokers get chronic lung issues. Uh, they can get bronchitis, they get emphysema, uh, you know, they get, uh, they, they, they wear down uh, because the lung tissue deteriorates over time. Now, you know, in my generation, uh, a lot of us kids smoked. You know, I grew up out of New York City, and I was, you know, when I was nine years old, I had my first cigarette. <laughs> Believe it or not, because that's what we did as kids. But uh, when I was 12, I stopped, you know, and I only smoked a few cigarettes in my life, but I remember, you know, uh, I grew up in a generation where the post World War II generation, where everybody smoked, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, even my own mom smoked in the house. My dad didn't. Yeah, and back in uh, those days, like in the military, they would say, "If you got them, smoke them." <laughs> yeah, everybody smoked. But but here's the deal with um, uh, lung issues. Um, uh, since COVID nineteen attacks the heart uh, and the lungs um, uh, and the brain, by the way, and the GI tract. I mean. I've never seen a virus like this, Vincent, in my entire life. I mean, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of uh, viruses as a heart specialist because, like I said, a lot of people would develop heart failure with these viruses. But even, even in Wuhan, where this outbreak uh, started, um, there was a small study that came out of, like, I think there was 416 patients. And 19% of these patients who had documented, you know, coronavirus uh, and were sick and hospitalized, uh, almost a fifth of them developed myocarditis, or they developed inflammation of the heart, and they and they had no previous heart disease. So the problem with these virus uh, viral infections is that they can impact the lung 
uh, and we know that, but they can spread to the heart, and now this virus is spreading to the brain, uh, blood vessels, kidney, and even GI tract. So this, this is a tough virus. This is a virus that I don't think the medical profession was prepared for. This is something new and novel. And I've got to tell you, um, there's constant changes. I mean, you know, what I said on the radio or TV five or six weeks ago uh, has proven out to, to maybe not be the correct information. You know, a case in point, uh, we were using ventilators very early, and the, the medical profession realized that ventilators very early on was not a good idea. Uh, they were laying people on their backs, and now they're putting people, some of the patients they're putting on their stomachs for better ventilation. Uh, so, the, so the list goes on and on, but this virus is a tough virus, a very virulent virus, and I think the most important thing about this virus for our listeners is that these comorbidities are very important, you know, like seniors, like I'm a senior over 65. Explain that, can you explain the term comorbidity? Yeah, a comorbidity is a situation that you have that uh, could make a respiratory infection worse. Um, and, and there's a lot of comorbidities. For example? Yeah, you know, like, for example, seniors, uh, you know, people in the eighth decade of life uh, or people in nursing homes have a, uh, have a comorbidity, meaning that uh, they might not be able to fight off the virus uh, as well. There's genetic factors as well. I mean, Asian Americans, uh, black Americans, uh, they, they might have different blood types that uh, could be a comorbidity. Um, uh, the Hispanic population as well. I mean, it's... Um, I think blood type zero, uh, O, for example, mm -hmm. uh, is probably one of the best blood types going forward uh, to combat this virus. Uh, blood type A and AB, they, they might have disadvantages. but It doesn't imagine, sound good for me. I think I'm... Um, if I if I if I say it correctly, I, I think I'm AB positive because I think I'm a universal acceptor. I can take everything. If you're a universal acceptor, let's see, always a universal donor. Donor, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think I can accept anything. I think I may be positive. So. Well, that's probably the good news. <laughs> <laughs> the bad news is uh, it, it might be a comorbidity. Yeah. Comorbidity. But it's lower down on the list. I mean, Look, listen, listen, you don't have heart disease. Hopefully, you don't have diabetes. You know, high blood pressure is a comorbidity. Okay. People with more, higher blood pressure have a comorbidity. And I have a feeling, I, I'll tell you why, because whenever you have high blood pressure, this can create what we call diastolic dysfunction of the heart. In other words, what that term means is that when the heart is filling with blood, if you have high blood pressure, uh, the, the heart can struggle a little bit as it's filling with blood. And um, I, I believe this comorbidity uh, is significant for um, coronavirus because if you have any weakened heart going into a coronavirus situation, uh, let, let's say from diastolic dysfunction or from longstanding, you know, severe hypertension, uh, that in itself, a weakened heart, is, is really a comorbidity when it comes to fighting off a respiratory virus. No. And, you know, we talked about sugar. We talked about diabetes. Certainly obesity. I mean, I'll tell you this. Um, uh, I think uh, it's vital for anyone to be overweight now. And, and I, I want to create a reframe for your listeners. Okay, go ahead. If you're 5 or 10 pounds overweight or more, uh, I would like our listeners, you know, to invoke your prayer and to pray for a better diet and weight loss. And I'll tell you why. When, we, when 
we can develop what we call uh, inflammatory mediators. We call them cytokines in the body, interleukin-6, tissues, necrosis factor, alpha. These are, these are sophisticated terms, but these inflammatory mediators, we call them cytokines. They live in fat cells. Hmm. So if a person can lose 5, 10, or 20 pounds, what they're doing, Vincent, is they're taking away the home where these inflammatory mediators live because they live in adipocytes or fat cells. So if a person can lose 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds during this coronavirus epidemic, not only are they rendering, they're rendering themselves less to being diabetic, the hemoglobin A1Cs, for example, and their blood sugars will drop, which is going to be immune-supporting against this virus. But not only that, but they, they will also take away these homes where these inflammatory mediators can live. Because you've heard of the, the cytokine storm. Have you heard of that, where uh, these, the, the lung tissue in the heart is vulnerable to what we call inflammatory cytokine storms, where the virus interacts with um, uh, various uh, uh, chemicals or, or uh, immune-supporting uh, uh, elements in the blood, and all of a sudden you're getting blood clotting in the lung. Uh, so it's all the brain as well. almost like a superstorm in weather terms. Exactly, exactly. And I'll tell you, um, uh, we've had a couple of people hit our grounding website where uh, people came down with the virus and they put their bare feet on the ground or they put patches on their chest uh, and they were grounding themselves. And, um, and grounding thins the blood. So even though these are anecdotal cases, but, um, you know, if I came down with coronavirus, I, I would certainly put my bare feet on Mother Earth, you know, on, on grass or the sand or, you know, or concrete uh, and, and sleep grounded as well because um, whenever you can thin the blood, if you're dealing with, a, with blood clots uh, mm. going forward, you know, that could be a, a good situation. And if you look at all this, even these comorbidities, Vincent, you know, diabetes, too much sugar in the blood, um, uh, certainly too many chemicals in the blood, air pollution, like, for example, uh, uh, or obesity with too much fat in the blood, you know, uh, even a high cholesterol or triglycerides, all these uh, comorbidities uh, could thicken the blood, and we don't want to have thick blood going mm. into this viral situation because the thinner your blood is, the more oxygenation you can get to your tissues. Wow. You mentioned this, this grounding. Uh, what effect does that have? Is there like electrical impulses that get come into balance with grounding? Because I know earlier we talked about, you know, being here in, in Florida and in one of the places where lightning strikes all the time. And you mentioned something about lightning having some antioxidant benefits. Is, is that kind of yeah, related? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we were talking about this before the show. And, um, you know, we both live in Florida. And um, um, one of the reasons why um, a lightning storm is so healthy, uh, <laughs> provided you don't get struck by lightning, <laughs> your house doesn't get struck. I'm not talking about, you know, you're out in a lightning storm and, uh, uh, sometimes when lightning strikes the earth, uh, there's like an ozone smell, and uh, it changes the configuration. But not only that, uh, when lightning strikes the earth, it penetrates the earth with electricity. And it, 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 since lightning is electrons, so to speak, when the electrons go into the earth, uh, the earth becomes uh, plentiful with electrons. And um, uh, we call this like the Schumann effect. In other words, it's a humming of the earth. And around the equator, 
uh, is when the, where the most lightning strikes happen. But when the lightning strikes happen, it gives the Earth all these electrons. So if you walk barefoot on Mother Earth, you go to the beach, you uh, you put your your sand in the, where the tide meets the the sand, and the and the, and the ocean water is endowed with a lot of minerals and energy. That's why a lot of people, when they go to the beach, Vincent, they feel really good <laughs> because they're taking in Mother Earth energy, and it's like swallowing handfuls of antioxidants. And I think grounded energy would be beneficial in uh, supporting our immune system going forward, you know, and helping to combat, you know, you know, any any viral illness. Mm. So I'm a big proponent on earthing and grounding. I, I love it, and I do it every day. And I sleep grounded with, you know, grounded sheets and. And I walk barefoot as much as I can. In fact, uh, uh, I live in Florida, and I always go to the beach as, as often as I can to walk in the beach barefoot, uh, to, you know, to, to just to take in the human effect of the Mother Earth energy. And get the sand between your toes. <laughs> and that's fine. I love it. <laughs> wow, this, this is a great conversation. I'm learning a lot, and I know my listening audience is learning a lot today as we continue to talk with Dr. Sinatra, and we're talking about matters of the heart. Help us to understand congestive heart failure, because I know we talked about heart disease before. Um, and is that related? And I just heard this term somewhere today, pulmonary embolism. Well, pulmonary embolism uh, is when the uh, blood clots in the veins and it can travel up you know, through the inferior vena cava and cause blood clots in the, in the lungs. And uh, uh, it's a medical emergency, any pulmonary embolus. Uh, could be frightful, uh, and I've treated a lot of them in my in my career. Uh, but that's different from congestive heart failure. Now, pulmonary embolism can cause what we call right acute right-sided heart failure, which could lead to death. I mean, so your question, uh, you know, has a connection to it. But usually, congestive heart failure uh, uh, can be precipitated by a long-standing coronary artery disease, massive heart attacks, several heart attacks. Uh, long-standing uh, high blood pressure with weakening of the or uh, cardiac enlargement with weakening of the walls. Uh, you know, I've mentioned infections, but but the, the most prominent cause of congestive heart failure would be uh, aging and long-standing uh, atherosclerosis of the heart, where the heart uh, clogs up with uh, uh, calcium deposits, cholesterol deposits and atherosclerosis and the circulation is compromised and and you know with or without a heart attack the, the heart muscle becomes weakened over time wow i know we don't know all about this virus now but where we are today and based upon what we do know scientifically do you see there possibly being some long-term effects of covid 19 on the heart even if someone gets it they get over it today. Do you think there could be some long-term issues based upon what's really going on with this virus and how it attacks so many things from the lungs to the brain to the heart? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, the truth of that, the, the truthful answer is any viral disease um, that gets inside the body, uh, uh, and most viral diseases just affect the lungs. And, and you know, you, you get over it after a week, you know, you feel awful, you have a fever, you have usually a productive cough. But some of these invasive viruses, like uh, the SARS virus, the coronavirus, um, uh, certainly some of the Epstein-Barr viruses, um, 
uh, Ebola virus was a horrible virus, uh, and we actually uh, stopped that, uh, you know, years ago. But these viruses, they, if they do affect the heart, uh, they can be devastating. Uh, and uh, in, in answer to your question, um, any virus that gets inside the body for a length of time could affect organs later on. So even though you get over the acute inflammation, you know, you might be dealing with something later on. Now, the good news is that most people will get better. Uh, in other words, I've seen so many viral conditions cre create myocarditis, and, you know, you give people uh, uh, rest and, uh, you know, you uh, give them proper nutrition. I like vitamins and minerals. I love coenzyme Q10. I mean, that, I mean to me, that's one of the most important uh, vitamin-like substances you can give for the heart. I like D-ribose. Uh, I certainly like magnesium, just to mention a few, and omega-3 essential fatty acids. I mean, a lot of these uh, vitamin and minerals, uh, certainly vitamin D, vitamin C, selenium, zinc, oh, the list goes on and on. I, I mean, I'm a big vitamin and mineral guy, but I can tell you um, a, a lot of these uh, vitamins and minerals and flavonoids and carotenoids will help support the heart going forward. So I'm a big believer in the nutritional support for the heart. And supplements. Wow. With that being said, let's talk about what can my listening audience find when they go to your website? Um, well, I mean, the drsinatra.com is a um, – uh, we're a nutritional type of website. I mean, I've worked with Healthy Directions for, oh, my gosh, uh, over 25 years. They're a great company. And, and I have to tell you, they uh, they do a lot of diligence, um, uh, especially uh, with my brand. Um, you know, a lot of our products go through incredible quality assurance. You know, they're tested over and over again. So, um, in fact, even a lot of my products, uh, they correlate with California Prop 65, which means that, you know, they're, they're really protected from any heavy metals and stuff like that. But uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be working with a company like this for over a quarter of a century. They have a great staff, and, uh, uh, and, they, and they put out good products. And, and again, I mean, I wouldn't put my name on any product unless uh, I, I fully, fully endorsed it. So the supplements that you uh, referred to earlier in our conversation, they can be found here on your website? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like omega threes. I'm a big believer of squid oil over fish oil because squid, uh, squid only live in the ocean for up to 450 days. They have far less contamination than large fish, and 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 squid have a lot of DHA, Vincent. Now, when it comes to the heart, the brain, and the and the retina of the eye, you need DHA. That's a that's an essential fatty acid that we must take into the diet. The body can't make it, but it's it's better than EPA which is good for arthritic situations, but because I'm a cardiologist, I want to protect the heart, brain, and retina. And look, I like to protect the, the, uh, the you know, small fingers of the hands as well, but uh, <laughs> I have to give a little weight to give it. Give a little weight to it. You don't, to the heart, you know. If the heart goes, everything else goes. Everything else goes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's true. Wow. I want to talk with you about arteries and how do you, you know, we talk about um, hardening of the arteries getting blockage in the arteries you know in my in my mind i'm just thinking how come we haven't just come up with something like you know when they do a, uh cleaning out a, a, the engine of a car you pour in some chemical let it run and all the the oil deposits and all that just flush right out of the engine is it that simple or do these things are they like just stuck on there because when you talk about plaque i think about the plaque 
on your teeth when you go to to the dentist and they squirt water on it and clean it out and they take tools and scrape it off. Is that not possible or are there things that you can take to some type of lubricants or something to dissolve all this and let it just flush out of the system? You know, Vincent, i got to be honest with you. You have asked the best questions uh, by far that a lot of people I've spoken to on the radio. This is amazing. <laughs> that question that you just asked me is a $64,000 question in heart disease. And, 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 and I have good news. Uh, certainly, there are a lot of varietals you can take in a diet, like pomegranate, for example. Uh, green tea uh, is another one uh, where you can take these substances in a diet and they prevent plaque formation in the coronary arteries. And I'll never forget this. About 15 years ago, uh, I heard a lecture at Yale New Haven uh, uh, in Connecticut, and it was by a, uh, a Dutch researcher named Leon Schragers. And uh, when I heard the lecture, it was about vitamin K2, uh, which is found in hard cheeses and like, like these very hard cheeses in, in Holland. Uh, this was a Dutch researcher. And his associate, his name was Cees Vermeer, um, uh, when they came to Yale and I was sitting in the audience and I heard the lecture on what we call metaquinone 7, vitamin K2, um, this was probably one of the best um, situations I've ever faced in my lifetime because what they demonstrated was that if you took in MK7, mm. um, basically what this does, Vincent, it takes calcium out of blood vessels where it doesn't belong. And it puts it back in bones where Whoa. it does belong. Back into bones? It puts it back in the bones. So not only is it a savior for, let's say, osteoporosis, but but um, when I heard that conversation, I immediately went to Healthy Directions, you know, the company I work for, and I said, look, you have to get MK7 in your program. Because MK7, and, and they did, by the way, that's one of the great things about Healthy Directions. They follow my leads when I go to lectures, when I listen to other scientists, uh, you know, and, you know, when, when other people bring something to the table and I learn from them, uh, you know, I'll put together vitamin and mineral formulations. But, but what MK7 does, it is uh, absolutely remarkable. And, uh, you know, I've been taking it for almost 15 years. Um, it's, it's one nutrient that, again, I believe, will prevent plaque buildup in the coronary blood vessels. So uh, to me, this is, as a heart specialist, uh, I would recommend this to, uh, you know, any patient that walked through the door. Hmm. Okay, excellent. So now, I, you know, as you keep talking and I'm listening, I come up with other, other questions. I don't know the exact term for this. Uh, I think it's angioplasty, but it's like that little balloon, yeah. something that does that like scrape things off of the arteries or does it just widen the arteries and then if an artery is totally clogged up um, can you replace them with something like you know basically switching a valve or another hose over to another hose and what happens to that other uh, artery does it die off does it regenerate oh yeah great questions I mean first of all angioplasty um, is like you know how you well, geez, you're from Tallahassee. Maybe you haven't been in a lot of snowstorms, but no, you I haven't. Walk in the snow and you crush the snow. Yes. Uh, well, that's what an angioplasty is. You, you take a balloon catheter, and uh, and you can get these catheters into real tight lesions. I mean, even if it's 95 percent uh, occluded, and you can blow up a balloon uh, and sometimes put a stent in. And um, uh, you know, just before I left coronary arteriography, uh, you know, my colleagues were doing that. Uh, and 
and basically uh, it can buy a lot of time. It can buy even you know a decade or more, where uh, you know you can get blood flow back to the heart, and it and and the heart works you know just as good as new. And bypass surgery is the same way. You can take a bypass, and what that does is you have an occluded segment of the uh, of a major coronary vessel. And you take a bypass, it can be like an internal mammary implant, you know, something out of your, and, and, you, and you take a blood vessel out of your own body, so, you know, the body doesn't reject it. You can take it out of, let's say, the, the chest, a small segment of an artery, or you can take a venous bypass from, the, let's say, a vein from the leg, and you just have an occlusion of a vessel in the heart, and you just bypass it. You know, the surgeon just shows, shows, sews in the, the, blood, the, the artery or the vein, and he circumvents the uh, area of occlusion, and the, and the heart gets perfused with now, you know, nice red oxygenated blood. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, surgeons would, would tell me this all the time. As soon as they circumvent a partially occluded vessel, the heart almost lights up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> In other words, it's getting wow. good blood. Oxygenated and, and, blood. See, huh? One thing about the heart, uh, which is remarkable, Vincent, is this. When you have a heart attack, a lot of cells die. But there's a borderline zone where the, there's a zone between the healthy zone and the dead zone where the heart cells are compromised. But if you give them oxygen or support or something, uh, they can regenerate. So that's, that's the remarkable thing about the heart. It's, uh, it's a remarkable organ. And, and even when I read this um, paper that came out of Scandinavia about 10 years ago, um, the, the heart is a remarkable organ because... Um, I, I believe it contains intrinsic stem cells that uh, the heart can regenerate itself over time. All you need to do is give the heart the right nutrients, like coenzyme Q10, D-ribose, magnesium, uh, perhaps the carnitines as well. And uh, uh, if you can drive the energy of the heart, we call it ATP. Remember from high school biology, you know, we produce ATP. And when you drive that in the preferential direction, that might stimulate what we call exosomes in the body or stem cell progenerators that can create uh, new blood new uh, cells in the myocardium, which can regenerate the heart. So, I, you know, I, I mean, one of the things that I've done in my lifetime is I've taken a lot of children off heart transplant lists and, and given children time where they, they could buy time waiting for a heart transplant by, you know, you know giving them these precursors, which I think are vitally important. My, this has been an educational and informative program today with Dr. Sinatra. We're going to try to bring this to a close because I've got a, I've got tons of questions just flowing <laughs> through through my mind. But That's it. You know what you should do with your audience? What's that? Have on Tommy Rosa uh, in the future and have him talk about heaven and earth. I think your audience would like that because Tommy, well, we, we, we wrote the book together. And uh, uh, Tommy uh, is kind of interesting because a lot of the stuff I wrote in Health Revelations from Heaven and Earth, uh, he learned in heaven, and I learned as a cardiologist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd, I'd love to have him if you could help to arrange that. I'd, I'd yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah, I could arrange that for you if you want because, uh, you know, Tommy, Tommy likes to reach a lot of people, and uh, he's just a fantastic person, I have to tell you. And he's a great healer, spiritual healer. And spiritual healing works, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, I've been watching this Greg Braden uh, series uh, about the Matrix and about holograms and about, you know, all this stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. And, 
and uh, even so many scientists, they all invoke spirituality. It's really, it's really wonderful to watch. Yeah. Well, I, lo- I love, love to chat with him about that. I mean, you have been a great and informative guest. And with dealing with matters of the heart, I'm going to give you the last word here. Um, with the matters of the heart and this coronavirus, what are your recommendations for those of us who want to be around? with this virus what what do you recommend we do while we're on quarantine and a lot of us are working from home and we're not getting out as much and we're you know heard about the uh what the freshman 15 i guess is now the uh corona 19 (laughs) or the quarantine 19 or 15 what what do you recommend you know i'm i'm pretty conventional in, in this spirit i mean um you know i share the same situation with you living in florida right now and uh, you know, I go out for walks, and like I, said, I mentioned, the beach walks, and I, I like today, I rode my bicycle outside because I wanted to get fresh air and stuff. But, but I think the most important thing with this virus is again, if you can lose weight, restrict sugars. Um, re- remember, um, the more sugar you take into your body, it cuts down on white blood cell activity. In other words, it sort of stifles the action of white blood cells, so it can have a negative impact on your immune system. So I would tell your listeners to use less sugars, you know, use more healthy proteins, more healthy fats uh, in the diet, um, and, and, and basically, uh, you know, take targeted nutritional supplements. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer. Uh, I like onions and garlic. I think these could be good in the diet. Uh, you know, I mentioned green tea and pomegranate. Uh, I think they would uh, support the immune system as well. One of the things I do want to mention, because I, uh, I, I think it's important, uh, what we're learning about, and this has only been in the last few weeks, is this item that we call symptomless spreading of the virus, or what we call pre-symptomatic transmission. So, okay, is that different from being asymptomatic? Yes. Okay. In other words, in other words, these are people that have the virus, and if they cough or they sneeze and you're around them, because this virus is so contagious, they say it's like 50 times higher than most viruses, um, you could assimilate that virus in your own nose and throat. So when it comes to mask wearing, I think the value of a mask is incredibly protective for those with the virus who don't know it. So mm. in other words, if... If we wear masks in public, let's say uh, on the beach or in the, well outside, you really, I don't think you really need a mask that often, but, but mostly inside, and you do have the virus, I think you're protecting other people. So in other words, you're doing a good service to others. Because remember, if 20 to 40% of these people don't feel symptomatic, but they're carrying the virus, they can still spread it. And, and that's the $64,000 catch-22 question about coronavirus. And hopefully that'll fall by the wayside weeks from now. But right now, that's sort of the buzz. Wow. This goes back to something that I think about often with regard to wearing a mask. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, indeed. Dr. Sinatra, it has truly been a pleasure and an educational an informative experience having you here on Mr. Speaker Speaks. I'd love to have you back sometime in the future. Uh, You know, it's just been great. Okay, Vincent, will do. 
And like I said, if you ever want to do heaven and earth, I'll be happy to do it. Go ahead and arrange it. Let's make it happen. I'm an Army guy, and they would always say, make it happen, men, make it happen. Hey, listen, you're the first person in 40 years of, no, 40, wait a minute, 50 years of doing radio and TV that started with a prayer. So... <laughs> I believe in novelty, and this was very novel. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so very much, and we're going to go ready get out of here. I just want to say thank you once again, and uh, I just want you to be blessed and continue to do those things that you do to help out uh, people today. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. You've been listening to what matters most to you. Ah, no, you haven't. It's Mr. Speaker Speaks. Aha. Like always, in all that you do, be magnificent. Until next time, be good, be blessed, but most of all, be a blessing to someone. <laughs>